Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rush Hour Podcast. Mostly by myself, I'm Kamal and Jay Park. And Jay, we have the second round of the playoffs. The 2021 playoffs finally started. So the Eastern and Western Conference semifinals. And let's start off with the, the latest matchup last night between the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Clippers. So game one ended off with 112 to 109. Honestly, for me personally, I was pretty shocked because the Clippers were they were up by a really decent margin. And the Utah Jazz just made an insane comeback. I remember uh, Charles Barkley during the halftime break, he was pretty much saying, oh, Utah's not going to be able to do it without Mike Conley. Mike Conley being out due to that hamstring injury, that's going to affect them. And little do you know, out of nowhere, man, Donovan Mitchell just erupted for 45 points. He shot 16 for 30, nailed down six uh, three-pointers, and he dropped 45 points to actually help the Utah Jazz pretty much. He pretty much carried that team because everybody else was not really contributing besides uh, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, I mean, Rudy Gobert was doing his thing with 10 and 12, but to me personally, I think he needs to be way more, way more aggressive offensively. The LA Clippers, Paul George, as usual, 20 and 10. The Utah Jazz were not having it. They were calling him Pandemic P or Playoff P, and they were just roasting him throughout this whole game, and I believe that really got to him. Reggie Jackson got ejected early. He only had nine points, and we know how he, how huge he was with that with that previous uh, previous series. But what's your thoughts on what you saw last night with the Utah Jazz and Los Angeles Clippers? Yeah, so with the Clippers, they had, I believe, like a 12 or 13-point lead heading into halftime, which was a nice margin. I mean, clearly they carried a lot of the momentum that they had Especially in, the in that previous arena. matchup. Yeah, in, uh, in a foreign environment, in an opposing team's arena. The Clippers came out, you know, guns blazing, going up, double digits into halftime. I believe, you know, they looked good. But in the second half, it was a completely different story because in the second half was when Donovan Mitchell came alive. Because Donovan Mitchell, I believe he only scored 13 points in the first half, but he scored 32 in the second half. Now That's what coach players it, do. In the uh, Jazz roster, nobody on their entire team shot 50% or better except Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell actually took 30 shots. So for him to actually convert on 16 of 30 shots, um, including 6 of 15 from three, and 7 of 8 from free throw, to be putting up 45 points in a playoff performance, he loves these big moments. And he embraces whatever pressure, whatever challenges, that comes with the playoffs and he's proven even from last year's playoff in the bubble that he's ready for this. So Mitchell put the jazz on his back and the jazz did a great job defensively as a team to close out the Clippers in the closing minutes, including that last play where Rudy Gobert got that block on, on Morris. And as for the Clippers, they weren't really the Clippers. I mean, it it did make a big difference that Reggie Jackson got fouled out, but the biggest takeaway for me was Paul George. Paul George, if you just look at the numbers 20 and 10, yeah, they might be okay. But you look a little bit deeper and you realize the guy, the guy shot four of 17 from the field. That's the definition of pandemic P. That's not playoff P. That's pandemic P. So until Paul four, George actually only makes, four, Take that in. Four field goals from 17 shots. Yeah. Listen, man, I'm I'm not, I'm not I'm not a great person at math, but to me, man, that's you flopped, man. You that, that was a huge flop, man. Yeah, that's under twenty five percent. So, man. so if you're supposed to be this all star slash quote unquote superstar, and you show up like that in the playoffs, no. Uh, if you're supposed to be Kawhi's right hand man and the number two option on your team, you can't go four of seven. And those the four of seven. The only thing he has similar with Kawhi is. Uh, 
it's a good braid braid lineup, man. That's that's all, man. I mean, that, uh, that, that man. Yeah, that's that's maybe the, all they have in common. But Paul George, no, a lot of his shots were actually wide open too, and he just missed. He just flat out missed. So I I think that for the Clippers to have any chance on actually winning this series, Paul George needs to be a factor. If he's not a factor, I believe the Jazz will wrap this one, like you said before, in four up. or in five. The shout out to Luke Kennard, who, who shot really well. He's somewhat making up for the money that they paid him. Uh, so I mean, he at least, at least at least he shot well. Patrick Beverly, he had six minutes and he was just in there. Like Westbrook said, man, he, he doesn't do much. He just runs around and acts like he does much. He had a rebound and an assist, and he he shot zero for three from the field. But we saw a Demarcus Cousins appearance, and that was that was actually flattering to see because you played only three minutes. He had six points and three rebounds. And he, he shot two for three from the field. And uh, I guess he picked up three personal fouls within three minutes. And I guess that's one of the reasons why Ty Lue probably just told him to chill out and put him back on the bench. But three minutes, six points, and three rounds, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So for me, honestly, everybody might have thought that the Clippers were going to run away with it based on the score at halftime. But like I said, Donovan Mitchell coming out, guns blazing in the second half, putting up 32 points uh, was huge. And I believe that the Jazz will come even more aggressive, shaking off that rust from a five-day rest in game two. And with the Clippers, unless Paul George becomes a factor, I would I would believe that the Utah Jazz will win game two as well. All right, uh, let's jump on to the, the Eastern Conference semifinal with the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. And the 76ers finally managed to even out the series. They won 118 to 102 against the Atlanta Hawks. It was a huge bounce-back game for the 76ers. We saw Joel Embiid, who dropped a career high in playoffs in the previous game where he dropped 39 points. This game, he beat his own career high, and he dropped actually 40 points, which is one additional point. And he had a huge game. He came along with uh, 13 rebounds, two assists, and two steals. Danny Green, he shot horrible, man, five points. I don't even want to read the rest of his stats. But he did dish out the ball really well, eight, eight assists, which was a huge contribution. Seth Curry, 21 points. He shot really well as well. Uh, Tobias Harris, 22 points. But the biggest shocker to me was Ben Simmons, man. Ben Simmons has not been really up to par when it comes to offense. If you're an elite point guard in this league, you can't be finishing out a, a playoff game with four points. You take, you pride yourself on defense, but you still got to somewhat at least contribute at least double digits, man, at, at least 10 points. But let's look at the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young with 21 points and 11, 11 assists. I mean, he did his thing. One more thing that Trey Young has been taking off this playoff series in general is his social media presence. So he keeps on using the hashtag we move on and uh, see you guys in Atlanta and whatnot. And he did the same thing after this game. So I'm pretty sure as soon as they go back to Atlanta, it's going to be very different, but they did their thing. They stole one on the road, but this series is, is pretty much tied up. But what do you see moving forward for the series and the upcoming games? I believe that the Philadelphia 76ers will win the series in general. I don't know in how many games, but this will all come down to how effective Ben Simmons will be on both the offense and defensive end. Cause like you just pointed it out. Yeah. You could be in contention for defensive player of the year and, you know, be a threat on defense and be able to be like, you might be versatile and, and, and agile enough to guard multiple positions throughout, you know, multiple points of the game, but offensively you just score four points in just what a couple layups. Like, Come on, man. And you didn't even get like double digit assists. You just have three rebounds. That to me is not an all-star worthy 
caliber player. That to me doesn't even scream anything close to being a superstar. That to me is not, there's no way you can be dubbed the quote unquote mini LeBron. No, you can't. Four points. That's Danny Green got more points than you. And you play, you play 10 more points. You play 10 more minutes than Danny Green. And Danny Green got, he scored more points than me. Actually, no. You know what's worse? Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard only played nah, 11 minutes. And he got six points. And Ben Simmons got four points in 35 minutes. Come on now, man. Come on now, man. That's so sad. Honestly, that's so sad. If Dwight Howard outscored you, nah. I think, so, uh, personally, I, I think Shake Milton really put the pressure on him. Because remember the bubble when uh, the Philadelphia 76ers coaching team with Brett Brown, they, they had a huge bet. And they put their trust in Shake Milton, where they pushed him to the point guard position, and they moved uh, Ben Simmons to the power forward position. And I think that uh, if Shake Milton keeps on shooting like how he shot last night, man, I, I think I think they should they should be taken that into consideration. I think they should. I, I very well think that they should because Ben Simmons, he's not being a real good point guard if you can't make shots. This is a guard oriented league, and this is a shooter oriented league. If you can't make shots. There's going to come a point in time where that's going to come uh, come around to bite you in the butt. Like with what happened with the Hawks yesterday. With the Hawks, Trey Young going 6 of 16, 1 of 7 from 3. That's bad. I mean, yeah, he had 21 and 11. But really, this league is all about efficiency. If you're not really an efficient scorer, then you're, you're just a volume shooter. Anybody can be a volume shooter. They just have to be given uh, the opportunity to take a lot of shots. Uh, granted that they'll make some of them at least. But... The fact that Danilo Gallinari was probably the most efficient scorer coming off the bench in just 26 minutes and scoring 21 points, the same amount of points that Trey Young had in 12 more minutes, that's not a good look. Like, I, I definitely think that the starting lineup of the Atlanta Hawks needs more people to contribute. I mean, John Collins only having eight points. What's that going to do in 35 minutes? Like, that, does, that literally does nothing. Clint Capella only having eight rebounds. That's that's not going to do anything. So the Hawks, they better wake up when they go back to to the ATL. Or it's and, not going to look pretty. It's not going to look pretty out there. Or it's not going to look pretty. I mean, this might be like uh, deja vu of the, the previous round matchup between the Jazz and the Grizzlies, where Grizzlies stole game one, and then the Jazz wrapped them up in five. And let's so, also note that DeAndre Hunter unfortunately got injured with a meniscus tear and he's out for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, so that's really going to hurt the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, it's going to hurt their depth. But at the same time, if they're not even going to get any meaningful contributions from anybody else on their team outside of maybe Trey and, and Danilo Gallinari, then it's not really going to be looking good for the, the, the next few games. All right, let's talk about the the huge, huge smack and blowdown for the Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, game two, uh, a lot of people expected that Milwaukee Bucks would at least somewhat play with, in, a, in a decent way, especially the, uh, with James Harden being out. But here they go again. They got smacked 125 to 186. I mean, man, I honestly don't know what to say. To me personally, just watching Giannis out there, I just feel like he's out of place. Definitely don't want to say he's out of shape, but just mentally he's out of place, man. I was expecting Drew Holiday would would make a huge impact on this team, but so far I'm I'm highly disappointed. I really don't have much to say about the Milwaukee Bucks, but if they keep on playing this way, and the sad part is James Harden still might be out for Game Three, if they don't take care of business when they go back to Milwaukee, and Brooklyn Nets keep on winning, then 
Milwaukee, I believe that they're going to get dismantled pretty much from the head coach to assistant coaches to to everybody. Everybody's going to be touchable except Giannis. What's your thoughts on the blowdown that happened like the other night? Yeah, so with the Bucks, I mean, let's talk about the Bucks first because what a disaster. What an absolute disaster. How how is it possible that you start the game one of the uh, of the East semifinals where Chris Middleton this is all my focus. Giannis is going to try to do his thing and he's going to put up Giannis like numbers. But what about everybody else? So let's start with game one. Game one, my only focus here is going to be on Chris Middleton because Chris Middleton, you got that max deal. You got a lucrative contract based on what you did before and what they believe that you're going to be able to do for the organization moving forward. They bet on you. And sure enough, as you get closer and closer in reaching a potential NBA Finals appearance, you're going to have to go through better teams, better competition. And because you guys finished third and the Brooklyn Nets finished second, meaning that you're going to have to play the first two games on the road, we get to see what you are like facing adversity. Chris Middleton, how do you play 36 minutes and you shoot 6 of 23, 0 for 5 from 3? How do you shoot 6 of 23? To me, I, I don't understand that. And then game two, what happened? Oh, play 34 minutes, shoot seven of 20. Are you serious? You shoot 20 something in the first game and 30 something in the next game? You're supposed to be the clear number two guy behind Giannis. Giannis did not get any support. Giannis, in that game two, he felt like, I honestly felt like his body language and his emotions on his face just showed like a lack of interest, a, a lack of wanting to play hard because he felt like everybody on his team did not really contribute. And he felt that there was nothing that they could do about slowing down the Brooklyn Nets and this offensive juggernaut that they are. Chris Middleton, how are you a minus 30 on your team? You are the biggest detriment to your team in game two. A minus 30? Oh, my goodness. I I can't. I, I, I personally feel bad for Giannis. I mean, that's why you can't really say that the Bucks have a big three in Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. No, they're not a big three. How can you say that they're a big three when – Middleton only scored 17 points, shooting 7 of 20, and Drew Holiday only scored 13 points. Now, for you to be having a big three, like it's got to be like a KD, Kyrie, James Harden type. You can't compare that big three to this big three. And like you said, if they don't go back to Milwaukee and at least take care of business at home and hold serve, this is going to be over in four, latest five, max five games. If Brooklyn wins one of the games in Milwaukee, they're closing the thing out in Brooklyn for sure in game five. The fact that Milwaukee's big three is still not matching up to Brooklyn's uh, two-thirds of a three, <laughs> you, you can tell that something's wrong. Because uh, from the looks of it, I think that James Harden is not going to be playing for game three. And if they if things do go well, I believe that they might as well just sit him out for game four as well. But that, that's the decision for the coaching staff of the Brooklyn Nets and Steve Nash to, to decide. But let's move on to the Phoenix Suns and Denver series. The Phoenix Suns are leading the Denver Nuggets 122 to 105. Tonight they do play uh, game two and it's the only game for tonight. And it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty huge because it's gonna be a, a huge statement game. But this is one of the few series where people actually believe that Phoenix could potentially knock out the Denver Nuggets and actually they're on pace to even make it to the to the NBA finals. But there's there's players within Phoenix and uh just looking at this series that Phoenix Suns are pretty much way more deeper than, than Denver Nuggets. We know that Denver Nuggets have not been playing with without Will Burton and Jamal Murray. 
But the way that the Phoenix Suns have been playing, their depth has just really been stepping up, man. It, it's not it's not only Devin Booker the ones that we're used to him being leading the team in scoring, but just throughout just throughout the whole roster. So you got DeAndre Ian giving you twenty and ten, Jay Crowder fourteen points, Mikael Bridges twenty three points, Chris Paul twenty one six and eleven uh, assists. I mean, just just the whole team, and uh, even the bench uh, players like Campaign and uh, Tory Craig. The Denver Nuggets they are deep, yes, but I think the I guess the more deeper team and team with a better point guard. The Phoenix Suns with Chris Paul, they clearly have the edge in this series. But uh, what's your thoughts on this series? And do you think that Denver could potentially have a, have a chance, at least a chance to even make this interesting? Or is Phoenix just going to keep on proceeding to the to the Western Conference Finals? The biggest thing for the Denver Nuggets is they need a steady second option behind Jokic as the clear number one offensive option for the Nuggets because – Jokic, he's most effective when he's able to score and also facilitate and get assists. He only got three assists in that first game. And he only scored 22 points off of 23 shots, which is not that great. So defensively, the Suns are doing a great job on limiting both Jokic and the amount of points that he can actually put up on a game. And the number of assists, getting his teammates involved in creating easy shots for them. Denver Nuggets... Without Murray, this is we already knew that they're walking into a very difficult situation, facing a very, very young, very good young team in the Phoenix Suns. Michael Porter Jr. only taking 13 shots and making six. That's not a bad ratio, but only scoring 15 points in a playoff game when you are clearly the second option. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Michael Porter, you have to not be in the same discussion that includes Chris Middleton and Paul George, you have to get out of that, that conversation and into your own conversation by saying that you are a much more offen- uh, efficient offensive scorer than those two guys that I just named. Otherwise, you're not going to help your team in a meaningful way and help your team actually win games. Everybody else on the Nuggets, they're hit or misses. But Michael Porter Jr., you have to be a steady guy behind Jokic. Otherwise, this, this series can be over in four or five. As for the Suns, the Suns, take this in. Chris Paul shot the ball the most with 14 shots. The rest of the starters, you can flirt with 12 or 13 shots. But somehow, some way, four out of the five starters for the, for the Phoenix Suns scored more than 20 or more points. That's balance. That's supreme balance, supreme efficiency. That's what's going to win you games. You got four guys on your starting roster scoring more than 20 points and better than 50, 60% from the field? Oh, that's going to easily win you games. So... You have that going for you versus what the, the Nuggets have. The Nuggets only have one guy scoring in 20s, and that was Jokic off of 23 shots. Like, the Suns had four guys scoring 20, 20 points or more in 14 or less shots. Honestly, if, if the Nuggets don't get any support for, for Jokic, I see this series going five at the most. Quick question. So, assuming Jamal Murray was not, did not have that, uh, that injury, and he had a performance similar to what he did in the bubble, do you think that the Denver Nuggets would be the, the clear favorites? Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, that's something that a lot of people would agree. But before we move on from this, we have to congratulate Nikola Jokic for uh, finally getting the MVP award. This was not a huge surprise uh, towards the end of the season when, when uh, people were voting for the MVP, but this was definitely a huge surprise from the beginning of the season because nobody even expected a, a center to even have a chance because... Uh, the last uh, the last center that actually won this award was Shaquille O'Neal, and that was back in 2000, the year 2000. 
and uh, it's literally been 21 years since another center finally won the award. But uh, that's very huge for Jokic, and I believe he's the first second-round pick to actually win the award. Uh, he was picked 41st overall in the 2014 draft. Uh, it's crazy to say that, that that was the same draft that Joel Embiid was in, and if it wasn't for Joel Embiid's injury, uh, he he would also had a chance to to stick it out for the for the big man position. And we saw what Shaquille O'Neal said: the big man position is back. And uh, he was I'm pretty sure he was happy either whether if Jokic got it or or Joel Embiid got it. But that's that's pretty huge for the for, uh, for Nikola Jokic. Yeah, no, Jokic was clear, clearly the um, the MVP favorite from day one in my eyes. I mean, I've been preaching to everybody that it's Jokic, it's Jokic. Don't talk to me about LeBron. Don't talk to me about Embiid. Don't talk to me about James Harden. It's clearly Jokic, especially after uh, Jamal Murray going down and them winning, like, uh, a lot of games, even after the fact that, you know, their starting point guard, their number two option, their their fellow all-star went down with the season-ending injury. Jokic, the first second-round pick to ever win the MVP, the first Denver Nugget to ever win the MVP. These are all phenomenal um, accomplishments. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wins another one uh, before it's all said and done because I don't think that he's slowing down. I think he's only getting better over time. I think the game... Uh, it's getting easier and easier for him year in and year out. And I'm sure that provided the Denver Nuggets actually surround him with more talent, he should be able to produce uh, a, just as good of a season as he did this year, next year, if not better, provided that the organization actually knows what they're doing in, in surrounding him with better talent. Uh, I agree. Uh, but let's move on to some head coaching news. And obviously the latest the, let's just go. Let's go through a list of. Uh, this has pretty much been a week of firings, man. Uh, let's start off with the most recent one, and that's the Indiana Pacers head coach, uh, Nate uh, Jorkren, and he was a the former, the former Toronto Raptors assistant. But right now he got fired, and people did not see this coming at first. But there were rumors that he's been having uh, a lot of internal, internal issues with the players and some of the executive staff. But they finally pulled the trigger and they decided to let him go. But earlier in the week, also, the Portland Trailblazers, after they got knocked out of the playoffs, Terry Stotts uh, has, has resigned. Or, no, he actually got fired. And same thing with uh, the Orlando Magic uh, head coach. And I'm not sure what's going on right now, but this is pretty much huge for the, for the NBA because there's going to be a huge shift in, in coaching positions, uh, especially right when it kicked off with uh, Portland Trailblazers and, and Steve Clifford of the Orlando Magic. But uh, what's what's your thoughts on all these recent firings? And and to me, personally, it's going to be a huge shift in the league, and it's going to give a lot of opportunities to up and coming coaches, and, uh, and it's going to be a huge uh, change of scenery, at least. Yeah, I believe that there's going to be some new faces that are going to have uh, head coaching opportunities for the next season. I've been, I think one of them is going to be Chauncey Billups, and I don't know if he's going to be filling the role of Terry Stotts in Portland or if he's going to be taking on the lead job in Indiana. But definitely there's going to be a shift in coaches because within the NBA, anytime that things go wrong, generally the coaches are the first ones to go. And usually what that means is a high turnover rate, but also that introduces uh, potentially new coaches uh, taking on a head coaching opportunity for the first time in their careers. Um, like the like the coach Nate uh, of the Pacers that he had this 
uh, this lone season before he got let go. Indiana needs more than just a head coaching change, to be honest. I mean, first, they need to get healthy. But second, they need to uh, develop an identity for anything. And a coach can help with that. But they, they definitely need to, to work on a lot more than just one simple head coaching hire. Same thing with Portland Trailblazers. I believe that they need to go uh, under a major roster shakedown because you and I both know that they've had their core for several years now and it hasn't worked out. It hasn't worked out. They haven't, they've never made it to the NBA Finals and, they, and they've obviously never won a chip. And Dane, we saw what he posted on Instagram after uh, his first round exit questioning his loyalty and questioning how long he should be uh, a Portland Trailblazer. But unless the Blazers are actually able to do something crazy in the offseason, and when I say crazy, I mean acquiring a lot of good, uh, powerful talent, I don't think anything's going to change in Portland. I understand Portland's not a free agent destination, but they're going to have to either maneuver, uh, maneuver the roster with trades, um, or through the draft, whatever they got to do, because Dane's clearly not happy and he won't be happy if every year, you know, he's just going to face a first round or second round exit. So hopefully. Dane's decision is going to be depending on what the head office does. Uh, they already fired the coach and I'm pretty sure that caught him a little bit off guard, but uh, it's, it's going to be questioning to see what they do with, uh, with their core, especially with uh, CJ McCollum. Yeah. But in other news, uh, LeBron James changed his number from 23 to number six. And uh, we know that LeBron James has been trying to do this uh, as soon as Anthony Davis joined the team. But that decision got uh, rejected, especially due to Nike. Uh, they pretty much had a lot of production with the number 23 printed jerseys. And uh, now's the time. Now's the time, especially after he got knocked out in the first round. I'm pretty sure that he was persistent in doing this. But what do you think this does? Does because LeBron is not getting any younger. I'm not sure if this is a, a mentality thing that he thinks he's going to change to number six and magically he'll he'll go back to his younger Miami Heat days. Or, <laughs> But what's, a, what's your thoughts on this little quick switch? Yeah, that's all it is. It's just a little quick switch. It doesn't mean anything. It's not it's like not, Kobe Bryant. It's not like something serious. Like, oh, yeah, it's like, I don't want – I hate to compare it to the Kobe thing because Kobe got both numbers retired. But do you think that LeBron is doing this as a mentality thing or – or as a legacy thing where he potentially wants to get two numbers uh, retired with the LA Lakers. Cause yeah, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's shut that. Yeah. Let's, right, let's shut right, that let's, down right away. Let's say, <laughs> let's say, let's say, let's say he wins three straight with the number six uh, by the time he turns 40. Do you think that's not going to happen? No, that then, then for sure that's, that's deserving, but we already know that's not going to happen. I, 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 had to, I, I had to aim for the moon with that one. <laughs> because, because I was going to, th- I was, I, <laughs> I understand because that's that's basically me telling you that you're going to sleep with Rihanna for three months in a row. So, yeah. we, <laughs> so I mean, as much as I do, we, I do in my dreams. So, <laughs> as much as we want certain things in life to happen, we already know like maybe that's not going to happen, right? I mean, that's like basically us dreaming about you know getting our share of uh, um, of some fun time with Dundas, but we don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just gonna sit. I'm just out here to tell you. That with with LeBron going from twenty thirty six, you know, it's just a simple jersey change. It's not. It doesn't mean anything. It, it's everybody remembers uh, Michael Jordan for wearing number twenty three. Everybody remembers, you know, uh, Kevin Durant and Tim Duncan for wearing the jersey number twenty one. Everybody remembers Kobe Bryant for wearing both twenty four and eight. But those, but that's because he had accomplished 
a lot of amazing things in both respective jersey numbers. LeBron, what has he done for the Lakers with that number six? Nothing yet because this is for the upcoming season. And in the upcoming season, if this guy doesn't even uh, make it to the finals, maybe he should switch back to 23 because he maybe he's thinking that, you know what, a New Jersey number is going to give him uh, better fortunes, but we don't know. We, we honestly don't know because the Lakers is not just a LeBron issue. They, that whole roster needs to get uh, get another shakedown because they need to get rid of guys like Kuzma and Drummond. Those, especially Kuzma. I honestly don't know why Kuzma is even on the Lakers and what he's even doing in the league, to be honest. Because to me, he, he's just like another Terrence Ross where you can just maybe throw the dice and see which game that they're going to guess they're going to pop out for 20. And then the next 30 games, they're going to not even score like 14 points. Amen. Enough with the Kuzma slander, but <laughs> I think that was a very valid point. But I think that's all for today, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to the next episode, and uh, especially with what the remaining the remaining games with the, within this playoff season has to give. Catch you in the next episode. Yeah, catch you guys next time.